0: Hi. So we're continuing, as Dan's mentioned in our series of um, Devoted, and um, we've, we've already looked at some of these. But it particularly focuses on this verse from um, Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, where we read that the, the, the distinctive features of the early church are, are these. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Um, there are others in the chapter, but we're focusing particularly on these, and that, that's the next in our series. So today we're thinking particularly about the breaking of bread, and um, it's, not, it's not especially clear whether the breaking of bread is referring to a general meal that people would share together, or whether it's specifically talking about the Lord's Supper as we, as we know it today. What is clear, however, is that for for the early church, for these early disciples, um, the Lord's Supper was celebrated as part of a wider meal, a meal taken altogether. Um, And uh, Tim Chester has written uh, this book, A Meal with Jesus, and uh, he he does a particular survey, a biblical survey of eating generally, uh, as if a survey was needed. Um, but it, it's, it's looking at food and eating and feasting in the Bible and the significance of it. And he makes a very strong case that we should share meals together, but also that in the sharing of our meals together, we should celebrate the Lord's Supper. Um, and, you know, that's something that that we might want to think about in, a, in another context. But particularly in our missional community groups, that might be something that we want to think about. Those groups are are typically... Um, characterised by eating together. And if that eating together incorporated the Lord's Supper, then the chances are that we are following the pattern set out in the early church. So what we're thinking about today specifically is the Lord's Supper. We're going to focus on that particularly. You'll also know by other names, it's known as communion. And the word communion indicates a connection between ourselves and God, but also a connection between ourselves and And each other. It's also known as uh, the Eucharist in some uh, Christian denominations. They refer to it as the Eucharist. Eucharist is a Greek word that means um, thanksgiving. And when we think about the Lord's Supper, when we think about the Eucharist, haven't we got plenty that we need to be thankful for? And so coming to God is a very natural uh, response to that. So I'm going to just pray for us as we turn to God's word. Pray with me. Let's just bow our heads and be quiet for a moment. And as we turn to God's word, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will open our eyes and our ears. Will you open our minds and our hearts to accept what we hear from you? Lord Jesus, we recognise that we're thinking today about a very familiar part of Christianity. In worship, but we pray that you would refresh our relationship with you, that you would revitalise our worship so that it goes beyond ritual. Help us, Lord Jesus, to understand that we need you and that we can come to you as dearly loved children. So we're going to um, we're going to read the account of um, the the institution of the Lord's Supper as it comes from the Last Supper. So it's mentioned in uh, several of the Gospels, but I've chosen to look at it in Luke and chapter twenty-two. So if you'd like to grab a Bible, please do. You'll find it's on page one thousand and fifty-seven. It will be on the screen as well. So, um, you can follow it wherever is the most convenient for you. Page 1057. So, this is where Jesus initiates um, the Lord's Supper. So, starting at verse 7 of chapter 22. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asked, Where is the guest room where where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it, as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Now it's been said that if you take out of the Bible all references to meals, food and feasting, the Bible would be far shorter than it is now. And it's not surprising that Jesus uses a meal to help us to remember him and his saving work. And for those of us that have grown up in a, a Christian church, in a particular Christian tradition, then the Lord's Supper can take many different forms and very different styles. And, you know, you might have a particular favourite. And here at Cross, we've done it in a number of different ways. And um, in many ways, it doesn't much matter, but, but the meaning behind it is particularly important. In this Tim Chester's book, he poses, though, this really important question. It's a really challenging question. If your church stopped celebrating communion, what difference would it make to your life? If your church stopped celebrating communion, What difference would it make in your life? When we were kids growing up, if it was a school day, we always had a cooked breakfast. Now, one of my older brothers, David, (laughs) I'll name him and shame him, he, um, he was really bad at getting up in time. Now, he'd left school and he had a job and he had to catch the train to to work and he couldn't be late for work um, but it was still really bad at getting up and he frequently got up so late that he didn't have time to eat his breakfast and my mum cracked on the idea that it would be great if his breakfast were put into a sandwich wrapped in a bag and she stood at the front door and as he came charging down the stairs with seconds to go before the train left then she would give him the bag and he would run out the door and catch the train and this continued for quite some time and all was well until the day that my mum walked past the station and looked in the hedge and noticed a bag that she recognised. And sure enough, she pulled it out and looked inside, and there was the sandwich that she, his breakfast sandwich that she'd made that day. On further investigation, it transpired that there was a whole heap of bags containing breakfast sandwiches that had been thrown in the hedge on the way to the station, over goodness knows what period of time. He had some words to say about that. I don't know why David took the decision not to eat his sandwich, but he rejected that meal. He treated it with complacency, with indifference, maybe even with embarrassment. And I couldn't help but wondering when it comes to the Lord's Supper, if we treat it in a similar way. I wonder if it's become a meaningless ritual. I have to say and I have to confess that there have been many times when I've taken part and my mind's not, and my heart have not been in it. And uh, that's not what it should be about. Tim Chester responds further by suggesting this. The Lord's Supper should be a meal we earnestly desire to eat. We should approach it with anticipation, with longing, with excitement, with joy. The Lord's Supper should be a joyous occasion, a vibrant meal with friends, a feast, I'm not sure what your lived experience is. And it's right and proper that when we approach the Lord's Supper, then we should do it with reverence and with respect. But it doesn't need to be somber and morbid and awkward. It really should be a feast and a celebration, a spiritual feast and a fantastic celebration. There we go Now in the passage that we read in Luke chapter 22, we read Jesus' words here. He says, "I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God." The Lord's Supper is one example throughout the Bible of a time when um, significant moments in the relationship between God and his people are marked out. They're punctuated with feasts, and this is one of them. So for us today, as followers of Jesus, the Lord's Supper helps us to look in different directions. It helps us to look back to the way that God has saved his people in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament. It helps us in our present time to understand our relationship with Jesus, And it helps us to look forward to a time when we will be with Jesus. And we should be anticipating that with longing, with excitement and with joy. So what we're going to do is very briefly look in five different directions as the Lord's Supper helps us to enact who we are before the Lord. So the first of these is that the Lord's Supper, through the Lord's Supper, we should look within as an act of participation. Paul, St. Paul this is, wrote a letter to the church at Corinthia, uh, Corinth, sorry, the, the first letter to, to the Corinthians. And this letter is a bit of a telling off. He's calling them out because their behaviours and their practices were getting out of hand and people were moving away from the purposes and the intentions of the worship and Christian living that had been set up. So to correct them, Paul needs to give some instructions to help the church to refocus, including the way in which it celebrates the Lord's Supper, which for them was part of a shared meal. So they would have a shared meal, and that would include the the Lord's Supper. Uh, And so we read, uh, these are two verses that um, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? And a bit further in the letter he says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink discernment on themselves. When Paul uses the word discernment there, he's talking about the fact that people were eating and drinking and not focusing on the Lord at all. They weren't remembering Jesus. They were simply gorging themselves on the food and drink that was available to them. But Paul teaches us today That we, in sharing the Lord's Supper, we're participating in Jesus' death and resurrection. If you like, we're nailing our colours to his mass. That's what it's about. We recognise through the bread and the wine that we identify with him. We align ourselves to Jesus and we celebrate the fact that Jesus' death and resurrection was for us. We are the subject of God's salvation. We have to participate in it. We're part of it. And by taking part in the Lord's Supper, we're saying, yep, yeah, that's what's going on. I am aligning myself with it. So we need to look within. Perhaps we should look within as part of our preparation when we come to the Lord's Supper. And we take part of it as an enactment of our union with Jesus. And this is open for all those who belong to him, all those who have put their trust in Jesus and know that they're forgiven and justified and adopted. And when we do that, we do so with thanksgiving. So first, we must look within as that act of participation. Secondly, we must look at the Lord's supper. The supper helps us to look back as an act of remembrance. The Last Supper between Jesus and his disciple was literally hours before his death, and it was part of a shared celebration of the Passover meal. The Passover meal itself was a remembrance of how God saved his people and it involved sacrificial death and the shedding of blood. It's no accident that Jesus' death took place at Passover and also involved sacrificial death and the shedding of blood. The Passover meal followed a set pattern each time it was celebrated. It included prayers of thanks, the breaking of bread, and the pouring out of wine that was shared with all those people taking part. And the host of the meal would break the bread and would share the uh, wine. Part of the, the, the breaking of bread happens at a particular time in the meal, but then later in the Passover meal, there is the sharing of actually four different cups that were passed around. And you might notice in the um, passage in Luke that we read, two different cups are mentioned, and that's part of the Passover celebration, as it would have been for Jesus and the disciples. Now, the Last Supper becomes the Lord's Supper because Jesus takes some elements of that Passover meal and repurposes them into the Lord's Supper that we celebrate today. So we, we include prayers of thanks. We include the breaking of bread. We include the pouring out of wine that we share. And Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, sets out the format that this should take. And it's part of this remembrance. So we read in uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Bread and wine were everyday items at that time, as they are for us today they carry no particular significance by themselves. Except that when we take them in the context of the Lord's Supper, when we are actively remembering Jesus, then they take on some extra significance. When we have broken bread, that speaks to us of Jesus' broken body. When we have wine poured, that reminds us of Jesus poured out blood as, as our salvation, then these simple everyday elements take on huge significance and are a very special symbol for us. They are a graphic illustration of what happened to the Lamb of God to enable him to take away the sin of the world. As, uh, and the verse there is, is just that recognition that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So as we take communion, as we share bread and wine, we're reminded that our sins have been paid for. We are free. We're forgiven. We're acquitted. And we're adopted. When we take part in the Lord's Supper, we are saying, I choose to remember. I choose to respond and to remind myself and I'm reminding God that I am part of the new covenant, the new agreement that Jesus has established for me. So in the Lord's Supper, I'm looking within. I'm looking back. Thirdly, then, in the Lord's Supper, I'm looking up. And I'm looking up as an act of dependence. In the same way that the Passover was designed to cause the Israelites to look to God for their salvation, so the Lord's Supper for us is exactly the same. We read these verses from Deuteronomy. This is Moses speaking, and he's saying he humbled you. He's talking to the Israelites about God and reminding them. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors have known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And similarly, in the New Testament, we read Jesus' words. Jesus declares I am the bread of life whoever comes to me will never grow hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. These are example verses in many ways but they talk of our dependence on God. We are wholly dependent on God as sinners There's no way that we can overemphasize that fact. I am powerless to save myself. Only God can do it. David, as he wrote the Psalms, was very conscious of this. And frequently in the Psalms, there is reference to his dependence on God. Here's one example. It comes from Psalm 103. David says this, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I can't save myself. It's impossible. I am wholly dependent on him to save me. So as I take the bread and I take the wine, I am literally internalizing those symbols of the fact that I am dependent on God. And surely my response to that must be to come to him with praise and worship, with thankfulness and rejoicing. I wonder, friends, is it your experience that you come to the Lord's Supper eagerly desiring to share that meal of dependence on him? So we've looked within, we've looked back, we've looked up, And fourthly, we should look around. The Lord's Supper, uh, through the Lord's Supper, we look around as an act of community. Hence the word communion. So Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthians, who are getting a bit out of hand, he emphasises the fact that as followers of Jesus, we're bound together as his body or his church. Throughout the Bible... That image is also extended, and we're referred to as the bride of Christ. That's an image of the intensity of His love for us. It's not surprising that Paul was offended by the fact that the Corinthian church were abusing the Lord's Supper and were simply gorging themselves by greedily overeating and overdrinking as part of the bigger meal that they were sharing together. And what it meant was that some people were going hungry and thirsty while others simply gorged themselves during that time. But the Last Supper was a celebration of the Passover and was shared. It still is in the Jewish community today. The Passover is celebrated each year as a shared meal. For us, the Lord's Supper is a shared meal. And it's shared because it enables us to care for one another, to look round at one another, to understand that we are one body, we are united by the salvation and the saving work of God. Paul makes it absolutely clear in this verse, because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share one loaf. And it's often the case that as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, The intimacy of that meal provides us with the opportunity to care for one another in spiritual ways, in emotional ways, maybe even in physical ways as well, through conversation, through encouragement, through prayer for one another. And the Lord's Supper provides that opportunity for us. So we look within, we look back, we look up, we look around, and finally we can look forward. We look forward as an act of formation. The Lord's Supper is an interim measure. And through it, we are we're expressing our anticipation of a much bigger feast that is to come. So we read that, don't we, in, in again, Paul's letters to the Corinthians. He says, for, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup... You proclaim the Lord's death when? Until he comes. At that point, we won't need to remember him in the same way because we'll be with him and we'll be taking part in a much bigger feast, a feast that is referred to in the Bible as the wedding supper of the lamb. Doesn't that sound awesome? We had an invitation to a wedding just on Friday and we were very excited about it. We knew it was going to happen. We didn't quite know when. And the circumstances of this wedding invitation are particularly special. And we were very excited to receive this invitation to a wedding. But, you know, we are all invited. If we belong to the Lord, we're all invited to a wedding feast. The wedding feast that Jesus is going to hold for us. And I tell you, it's going to be some awesome kind of a feast. And as we take part in the Lord's Supper, so we're anticipating that. It's a bit like the amuse-bouche, if you like, of what's to come. The amuse-bouche. <laughs> See me later, I'll explain all. It's an appetizer. That's what it means. It's an appetizer. It's going to be awesome. The feast that we look forward to. <clears throat> so as we share the Lord's Supper, it's... The Lord is saying to us, and this is just a taste of what's to come. There is a fantastic feast that is waiting for us. And, you know, the Lord told John in in his vision, as it's recorded in the book of Revelation, then the angel said, said this, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. If you belong to Jesus, you're invited to this wedding. Start getting excited. As we repeatedly then take part in the Lord's Supper, we are learning and relearning who we are as God's children and as members of his family. As we take part in the Lord's Supper, we are reminding ourselves that we are subject to his will and that we have responsibility towards one another. We are actively practising or actively developing our faith as we take part. In the Lord's Supper, we actively develop resting on the finished and completed work of Jesus. We are actively developing our devotion to one another. We actively receive God's gift and blessing. We actively develop our service above ourselves. We actively develop humility and generosity. So in the Lord's Supper, we look within, we look back, we look up, we look around. And we look forward. And our response to that has to be that we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, doesn't it? We have to look in all five directions as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So that's what we're going to do. In a moment or two, Danny's going to come and sing a song over us as we prepare. So as we prepare, please look within. Then we're going to come to the bread that's on the table. And there's something, I think, um, where we're active about breaking the bread that helps with our remembrance of Jesus' broken body. So on your tables, break the bread and share it. And there's an opportunity for you to pray. There's sheets on the table there that will just guide you through. So we'll start with a period of preparation and Dan's going to sing to us while we prepare. Then we'll come to the bread where we can um, pray and then we'll come to the wine. And again, there's guidance on the sheet uh, on your table just to guide you through. Now, for most of us, it's not all of us. This is something that we've done many, many times. But let's remember our prayer to the Lord at the beginning, that we're renewed in our worship, that this is no longer simply an empty ritual. That we use this as an opportunity to look in all of those directions. To look within and to be prepared. To look back as an act of remembrance. To look up as an act of dependence. To look around as an act of community. And to look forward as an act of formation. Let's celebrate and feast together in the Lord's Supper.